Hello and welcome to Piece by Piece, the podcast where we piece together what makes a world without violence. While we don't always see it, gender-based violence is all around us. At ANOVA, we believe in a future without violence. But what does a future without violence look like? And how do we get there? This week's episode, Moving for Me, Reclaiming Fitness and Finding Home in Our Bodies. Today we have on Dr. Sam Brennan. Sam's the Dean of the College of Arts at the University of Guelph. She's also the co-founder of the blog Fit is a Feminist Issue and with Tracy Isaacs is the co-author of Fit at Midlife, a Feminist Fitness Journey. So welcome, Sam. I'm excited to have you here today. Um, I'm wondering if you can tell us a bit about why this work's important to you. It's interesting because it's not a topic that was originally that connected to my academic work in in feminism and in feminist ethics. It started out much more as a topic of personal interest, but then the more I began to think about it, the more I began to think about the connections, uh, the more serious and important they seemed to me. So originally I I thought that the kinds of associations we make about women in fitness were a bad thing. They they didn't fit with my my worldview. They they weren't weren't consistent with my feminism, but I hadn't thought of them as harmful as they were. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized how uh, men and women, boys and girls are treated differently from very early on and the kind of connections we have to our bodies, the kinds of connections we have to our sense of self and autonomy and how important that is for women. And more I began to see it as connected to other kinds of issues uh, that are central to feminism. Mm-hmm. You're making all the theoretical threads. Um, so that's sort of why the original launch of the, the blog itself uh, fit as a feminist issue? No, I mean, the blog no. itself started because Tracy, uh, because I said on Facebook one time that, um, uh, that I wanted to be the most fit I'd ever been in my life by the time I turned 50. Okay. And my colleague, Tracy Isaac, said, because we were being friends for a long time and we were turning 50 around the same time. And she said, I'm in. And then because we're feminist philosophers, we got this big argument about what counts as fitness from a feminist perspective, because it certainly wasn't going to be weight. Neither one of us had an interest in being you know, the smallest we'd ever been in our lives. That was not our goal at all. Mm-hmm. And then there were lots of we had lots of debate and discussion with our friends. So we started out in this Fitness by 50 project and originally just thought of the blog really as kind of about personal accountability. We would just post what we were up to and our friends and family would read it. But then we kept being shocked by the numbers of people following the blog, kept clicking up and up. And we were getting lots of comments from women who said they were glad they'd finally found an alternative voice talking about fitness. And we realized that this was uh, an important topic uh, that, you know, in the, in the way the feminists make this realization that something you thought was originally just personal, of course, turned out not to be personal. It turned out to be a political issue and one right. that's shared widely from lots of women. I mean, I do all sorts of academic work that is not very well read. The blog is incredibly well read. We have 25,000 followers in WordPress, we have 15,000 on Facebook. And we did the blog, we did a book. I get recognized on airplanes because of the blog. Oh my goodness. Twice now people have come from airplanes and asked if I was Sam from Fitness a Feminist Issue. And I say, yes, and it's such an <laughs> odd thing as an academic to be recognized. But it's the joy, I think, of doing public facing work, but it's also such a surprise. So it's really now has 
a life of its own because we do have a large blogging community, a large community of regular bloggers mm-hmm. and a large community of guests. And uh, now it now feels like it has a whole a whole life of its own. It's no longer connected to the Fitness uh, by 50 project, but that's where it started. It's hit such a chord. I know it did with me uh, when I originally came across it years ago. And I can see why it resonated. Like, I think, um, so I'm a fitness instructor. I do group fitness aside from pandemic world. And that was sort of, it always felt like such a good community. And yet the fit was never right. Like there was something Uh about it that, um, didn't jive with other values of mine. And in my really feminist circles, there was also this sense of like, I don't want to super focus on fitness because also that's been really harmful and used as a really harmful narrative in other ways. And so there was like foot in both doors, but neither right. fit right. And I remember coming across the blog and just being like, oh yeah, okay. Uh-huh. There's energy uh-huh. here. There's another way of thinking about this. Um, I'm just kind of curious though. Did you ever resolve the issue of how you were going to frame fitness with Tracy? Like what were your metrics that you then used? We both decided to think for ourselves about some things we wanted to accomplish that we would have never. So it helps. Fitness by 50 in a way for us, not saying it was easy, but we're not, we were never high school athletes. We were both academics in our teenage years because we both thought at that time you either had to be uh, studious or athletic and it wasn't possible to be both in the way that it seems to be more possible to be both now. Um, So we weren't coming from athletic backgrounds. Um, and we both had some big things we wanted to accomplish. Tracy ended up doing three um, Olympic distance triathlons. I rode my bike from uh, Toronto to Montreal. And okay. the other thing I wanted to try was some something new. And I took up rowing, master's rowing, which was also a lot of fun. Wow. So we set, in the end, we just we picked some stretch goals of things we wouldn't have thought was possible before and achieved them. And certainly for both of us, I think that meant we were the fittest we'd ever been in our lives with when we were 50, but we didn't ever resolve the, we, you know, we had lots of debates on the blog about what are the different elements of fitness and how to weigh them against one another. But uh, really we focused on, for both of us, some fitness projects that, you know, were joyful for us at that time. I like the word joyful. I think that from a fitness perspective is not often the primary focus. And maybe we can dive into that and sure. talk about um, compared to how fitness is sort of generally framed, what is a feminist framing of fitness? That what would be the difference there? I often think in terms of joyful movement. I mean, I often um, do work out and exercise because not because I'm going to feel better. My long-term goals, of course, are to be active into my 80s and 90s. Okay, and I've yeah. got long-term goals. But that's not really enough to get you going on any given day. Usually it's the short term that I feel better after, right after I'm doing it or while I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. And it's an immediate mood booster. Um, and that, so I'm, you know, I'm riding my bike a lot on a virtual racing platform these days and having a lot of fun. <laughs> and it's the fun that gets me going. Even There are other reasons to do it. I'm not saying there are no other reasons to do it. But the, um, the, the motivation piece for me, is often about uh, mental health, emotional well-being, fun, joy. Right. Uh, I do other things that aren't fun. I do knee physio that's painful, and I do some exercise that's just hard. Right. Um, but I do a lot of it because it's fun. And so partly that's probably figuring out what does feel fun from a movement right. perspective, and that'll be your right fit. 
I know for me, um, one of the things that was, uh, I started out in fitness in high school and then a lot of it was definitely around being smaller, being a particular Mm -hmm. look physically, um, and also being part of like a certain in crowd, like, let's be honest about that, especially in a high school format. Um, but then I think as I, I got a little bit older, late undergrad, um, into my sort of master's space, I took up weightlifting and there was such a disjuncture because weightlifting was not about getting smaller, it was right. about bigger, taking up space, um, and being strong. And I remember having, uh, that's also when I came out as a lesbian. So this probably aligns itself a little bit, but I remember <laughs> having some moments where I was like, oh, I'm actually stronger than my brothers and I am stronger than, mm-hmm. um, my partner right now. And that was weird. And it was frankly a mind fuck and I didn't know what to do with it. And okay. We've processed through those feelings, but when I think about what feminist fitness might be joyful and also a celebration of like our bodies being capable and like mm-hmm. strong and taking space, that's been something that's been really important in my story, at least. I remember just when I first started weightlifting as a graduate student, I took, I had a tuition waiver. I was in studying in the U.S. and I had a tuition waiver that was good for any class at the university. And I thought, well, if I could take any class at the university other than my philosophy classes, what would I take? And there was a fundamentals of weight training class. And I didn't, I had sort of imagined kind of machines in the gym. And I got there and it was taught by this guy who was the, um, who was the, collegiate deadlifting champion for Illinois and he was a great guy and we did you know the traditional lifts and um it was a new thing for me because I decided if I was going to be a larger person I wasn't going to put all my energy into being small I was going to be strong and the idea that mm-hmm. and that was that you know uh those that, that value found a home in the gym lifting weights that I hadn't found elsewhere he was totally he did no, um, there was no thought that I shouldn't be there and no thought that I was too large to be there or that, you know, um, it, was a, it was an interesting thing for me to encounter that some of the women who were some of the strongest women around there were not, they were not small women. Yeah. And all of a sudden that wasn't the, that wasn't the measure. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. I think maybe you can intersect your two lives, your academic <laughs> side. Yeah. Um, yeah and sort of this, but like, why do you think reclaiming fitness, reclaiming sort of, um, how our bodies are framed? Why do you think that's so different than what's been done to our bodies as women in particular, but non-binary trans folk as well in that, and Mm -hmm. and in a different sense. Um, but let's focus on women for a second. Why do you think that's so different than what's been done to our bodies in the past or currently? I'm not sure about, yeah, I'm not sure about different um, so much as it's seen as acceptable in the way that other kinds of exclusion wouldn't be acceptable. That is, it is, the fitness space is probably the most narrow space I enter um, and the most um, exclusionary. um, And I found my own way in and around it. But I come to that with a certain kind of privilege as well. Um, And I can see how other people just do not have access at all. And I I don't think we would, when I look at, it's just for for an extreme example, 
look at the kind of sports professional athletes compete in, that we still have gender differences. Do we really think Serena Williams could do more rounds of tennis? Do we really think she's limited by being a woman? She is not. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do we really, so women race different distances in track and field. Women race different distances in men in, um, on track cycling. Um, I think in, I think even in speed skating, there are so there's a kind of gender differentiation in sports that wouldn't be allowed to exist anywhere else. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the last holdover. And it has, and it starts with, um, I think it starts with, you know, young boys and girls at very young ages, girls start moving less than boys really early on. Yeah. And it's from there all the way up to professional athletes. And it isn't really, uh, I'm not saying it isn't really questioned. There are people with alternative gyms. There are people who are, there are movements against it, but it's still such a part of mainstream culture. Yeah. In a way that I, I, I'm, you know, other areas of life, it, it doesn't seem to persist, but sports seems to be the last, because we want to say it's natural. We want to be able to say, this is what, men naturally do this is what women naturally do this is what the ideal woman looks like this is what the ideal man looks like and this yeah there's certainly a binary there there's certainly racism there there's certainly ableism there it kind of brings together all of the different ways in which uh, we exclude and oppress mm-hmm. and it's a pretty powerful force and can be a pretty powerful force for for, for good and for energy and activism. So it has both. So I think like, like you, for me, it's a site of both, um, you know, incredible oppression and ways in which you get things wrong and the site of empowerment and exploring the ways in which you can be both those things is interesting. It's a fine, it's a fine thread or a fine, like, mm-hmm. that's not the right analogy. Um, but a fine line because it, especially when I'm speaking with, uh, survivors in particular of gender-based violence, the things that have been done to their bodies mm-hmm. um, and the ways in which their bodies have been controlled or there's such mm-hmm. like a, a minimizing, a putting into a box, um, right. a violating in some moments very physically. And so your body is not, it's not yours. It's not home. It's not meant to be full and free. Um, and so these are, there's so many reminiscing triggers frankly, then to when um, survivors are connected into fitness traditional spaces. And yeah, and I think it's like any other reclaiming effort. Like how do you reclaim that? Because fitness is not owned by the fitness industry. Um, But there is, yeah, there's challenges there. And um, how would you sort of identify, do you have some self-reflection questions you've come up with or something that would help us understand how we know we're doing an activity that's for like, this is judgy to say it this way, but like the patriarchal bad reasons and how we're doing it for like our own joy and satisfaction reasons. And um, can we tease that even apart? I often ask myself sort of what counts as success. So how will I measure success in this? If I'm doing some new thing, what success look like? Mm. Um, And do I feel like I'm doing it out of a sense of duty and obligation and it feels like one more thing? Like sometimes to me, if I get off work and I feel like, oh God, now I have one more thing I have to do. I said, why am I telling myself I have to do that? 
Hmm. What's where's that? Where's the where's the normative force? Where's that have to coming from? Right. If it's coming from places like my knee physio, then I'll just suck it up and do the thing and recognize that it's not fun, but I have to do it because I want to do these other fun things. Um, but sometimes it's right. Sometimes it's not about those things. It's a, it's about looking a certain way um, or fitting in a certain way. And so I think it's can be hard to tease those motivations apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, but focusing on the motivation is, is a good challenge. And also I think, Oh, it's still, it's still messy. When I think about like, I try to set a goal recently during the pandemic of running three times a week. I'm not a runner. This is not right. an easy quest for me, but it is it, a replacement of something that I did find a lot right. of pre-pandemic. And it's a kind of fitness that's accessible during the pandemic. Exactly. So compromises, um, but motivation, sometimes it's, yeah, no, I've just set this goal. So I need to just do this. And so there's a sense of accountability there, which is probably helpful generally ish. Um, but there's times for sure when I'm like, I know that I've just completely done a lot of emotional eating in the last few days. I don't feel good about myself for all kinds of the reasons teasing apart. Why don't I feel good about them? Is it because I'm worried about getting larger, which is not a helpful thing. Is it because that's actually just felt really gross to my body, Right. (laughs) separate thing. Um, but either way, they're all mixed together telling me you need to get out for a run today. And, oh, like that's, it's still really hard to separate that motivation space for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is tangled up for lots of different reasons. Yeah. But one sport that didn't have, there, there are some sports for me that don't have that at all. And, and I particularly enjoyed my involvement in ones where I didn't ever, those questions didn't haunt me. So um, my martial arts training mm. was never, I never felt like I never had, I, there was never a worry about why was I, why was I doing it? And martial arts was also the interesting one for me where I first encountered um, a really embodied sense of, I got much better at kind of an embodied sense of being able to say no. Like, um, my martial arts instincts for unwanted touching are pretty fast yeah, and yeah. pretty immediate and they weren't accessible to me immediately before. Like when women start martial arts, it's often hard to get people to get women to yell loudly. Mm. It right. took me a while to learn how to yell loudly. It took, it's, it's not about fighting. It's about, um, you know, claiming something as your own. It's about um, taking up space, mm-hmm. not being frightened that people are going to look at you. Like, you know, I've been, I had, I've been, um, I was pinned against the car, a car as a teenager and the, you know, the police intervened. I was fine, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't yell. And I now think I would yell. Right. Um, and teaching women to hit and to hit back again. Um, that's a, that, that's only a, that's a uh, my only activity which I've taken is martial arts, and that's yeah. an interest an interesting area to observe. That. I feel like that's at a whole different level. So I've I've never done martial arts. I think that's like a whole different level of seeing our bodies as being strong and taking up space. Like we mentioned weightlifting earlier, which is right. kick ass yeah. and awesome. But this yeah. is also your body is a site of protection and your body is a site of 
violence possibly, but in a very positive way. Right. And then responding. And then, so I, the martial arts I did was Aikido and it was all, Aikido is all responsive. There's no, um, you always begin by responding to an attack. Okay. And uh, you're always using the other person's attack, energy from the attack against them. And so it's actually a fun martial art for women because it, um, it, people who are, have a lower center of gravity do better than Aikido. And uh, you're using more energy the other person throws into the attack, the easier it is to use their energy against them. So it's a fun martial art in that way. And just for folks who may not understand, because my mind just had to click in there, lower center of gravity would be related mostly to folks who are a little bit shorter. (laughs) So that would be a benefit. We're mostly shorter and mostly way less. And that's an advantage. Okay. Yeah. I'm just envisioning like someone punching at me and me kind of absorbing it, but shifting it somehow. Right. Exactly. You redirect their energy. The more energy they throw into the attack, the techniques of Aikido teach you to use it. Um, in a way that you, the way that you want. Well, I might just have to check that out. It's a fun, it's a really, it's a beautiful, it's uh, it's also a beautiful martial art, but it's also incredibly practical for real world things like falling on ice mm. and uh, falling well. And, and having, but most of all, I think is when people ask me about their daughters studying martial arts and taking martial arts, I don't think about the hitting and punching. I think about the, Owning your reaction and responding with a, an, a, you know, an unmediated response and not worrying about uh, taking up space and not worrying about right. being embarrassed if people look at you when you yell. Right. That's some powerful counter messaging. Yeah. 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 I get that. You had mentioned at the beginning that this was the one area where the one activity you had found that you had never had to sort of tease out your motivations, that there was never a link of sort of, I have to do this from a guilt perspective or from a getting smaller perspective. Um, And it's, it's because the focus is just so solely on something else. Is that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, uh, again, this is fascinating, but lots of uh, matters to lots of women. You're wearing baggy white pajamas. You're wearing the least right. body conscious clothes there are. Right. Yeah. Um, and everybody is dressed the same. And you really cannot tell um, variations among, you can tell height and you can tell rough variations among size, but it's not a particularly um, appearance conscious sport either. That's fascinating as someone mm-hmm. who is, yeah decked out in her Lulu's usually in a gym and super self-governed around what that's all entailing. And yeah, not to, right. not to ditch on the Lulu's by the way. Right. Or me and my cycling <laughs> kit, right. My cycling kit is pretty yeah. form fitted. You don't want any extra, you know, psych- bike jersey flapping in the wind. It's all right, right. form fitted. And I've gotten comfortable I'm, and the rowing unisuit. Oh my God. But you know, you get comfortable <laughs> with those things. Yeah. They do at certain times make you aware in a way that you might not like about your body in a way that the Aikido, uh, the Aikido Gi does not, right? The, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you were chatting with someone who is either looking to get into sort of being more active from the very get-go or someone who might've been in the past and might have some previous kind of yucky experience around it, are there sort of bench marks you would suggest to think about prior to getting in like guidance you could provide around where to start that journey yeah I think about 
we often, so Tracy and I, when we were writing our book, we often talked about what advice we would give people who wanted to start out or get back. And mm-hmm. we have different kinds of advice, but often it's the starting small message because people do tend to have outrageous goals for themselves and then beat themselves up when they don't meet them, right? When right. they think, oh, I'm just, I'm just a failure. I couldn't do that. Well, change the, change the benchmark and make it something reasonable that you can do. Find something that you enjoy. If you've never enjoyed doing, going to a gym, you're probably not going to start liking it all of a sudden. Right. So lots of things. You know, I love all of the park runs and all the community runs that are taking place these days. Mm-hmm. And you can't go to the gym anyway these days. This is a good time to get to think about getting fit without a gym. So the gym isn't available. But for some people, um, it's going to be social. Other people are not social exercisers. It's kind of getting to know yourself as, um, you know, I think many of us hated high school gym and, and high school gym did a lot, you know, you were either a school athlete or you hated high school gym and there wasn't much room in the middle. Yeah. Um, and then later you found out, wait, you can do like yoga by yourself and that's, or you can swim by yourself. You can dance, you can go for walks with friends, you can ride a bike, you can play soccer with friends like this, all sorts of things that are available. That weren't available um, often for people my age, fifties for people when we were younger, um, and it doesn't have to be the um, you know if you love going to the gym and taking group fitness classes that's great, but that doesn't have to be the thing that uh, that you enjoy. There's lots of options out there, and I would um, you know if I were coming at this anew, I actually like the um, as a goal trying something new. Picking and you know trying every 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 so often picking a new activity and finding what, what works for you. It may be I've got women who I work with who meet every morning an hour before work and go for a walk. That's what they really that's what they love doing. My mother walks her dog three times a day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, it's mostly uh, riding and racing my bike on this virtual platform these days. But uh, it takes some. Experimenting to find a thing that um, thing that you enjoy, mm-hmm. um, and then I think you do other things as scaffolding. Like I do other things because they help me ride my bike, which is the joyful thing. The knee, the knee physio, which I keep bringing up as my non-joyful thing. Uh, but you know, I do it because I do it in order to keep doing this thing that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. The word That's joy keeps cropping up, so yeah, I think well, being I, guided I, by that and kind of doing some self-discovery, yeah. especially if you're new, it sounds like figuring out if you're social and you're wanting to move or not and trying different things and just seeing what'll fit, but joy being a bit of a guiding post and mm-hmm. all of that. Mm-hmm. And not having, I mean, I, not that there are bad goals, but I find one of the things that really frustrates me about weight loss as a goal for fitness activity is that so many women have that as a goal and then they don't achieve it. And then they quit <laughs> physical activity, which A, might have been a joyful thing, but they're not gonna do it anymore because why bother? Or they quit because they never enjoyed it in the first place. The only reason they're in was for weight loss. But now they're, for, now they're giving up on all the health benefits and all the other mental health benefits and health yeah. benefits of exercise. So yeah. why that singular focus? It's a yeah, it's the thing that bothers me the most about. And then you also have 
exhausted women who are never told by anyone that they should exercise. Uh, their doctors don't ask about exercise. Mm-hmm. No one ever, they don't feel they need to. And they're also missing out on all the health benefits of exercise and all the pleasure of exercise. Yep. So I think it's a thing that does kind of everybody a disservice. Um, so it's the motivation of all the motivations. It's the one that worries me the most because it's so so overarching and just to harm so many people. Mm-hmm. And even when I've seen it, so you've pointed out when it's the motivation for someone going in and then they, they fail at it. So they go out of it or someone who feels like they've already met that goal. So they don't need to go into it. Um, and I think folks who are, I, I know lots of folks who are doing fitness in a traditional sense and they're, they're achieving their weight loss goal. Like they're, they're at the size they want to be, but there's this constant drumming fear that they won't maintain it. Right. So they have to continue. And so their engagement in body movement is not joyful. It's, it's grim. It's totally grim and fearful. Right. And yeah, it really is. And it's, there's so much of that out there and it's pretty toxic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like I always, whenever, um, for a long while I was doing CrossFit for quite a while and, um, you know, my size never really changed. And people, whenever new people would come in, they would always think I was another new person. And I would have to say, oh, I've actually been doing this for two years. And yeah. um, I can show you how to do, you know. Um, and they were always, so it's the same with cycling. It's the same with a lot of sports. People think you're a beginner. So I, when I travel, I took up the habit of, um, you know, always taking uh, triathlon water bottles and uh, and my, my my CrossFit hoodie and various things so so fitness instructors at new places wouldn't think oh I didn't want them to make a mistake and I didn't have this conversation about me being a brand new you know who's new to fitness yeah because of my size it's this weird it's this weird oh. thing unlike my the thin person unlike the new the new thin person who doesn't want everyone to assume they know everything. Yeah, fair enough. Like, yeah. like, right, because everyone assumes that they're just, they have been doing this for years. Right. I love the different signaling involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we're kind of circling around a question that I have, which is, the question is really around how do you, how do you feel at home in your body? And how, what does that, what is that? Like, that's often sort of positive thinking, new age language used of late, Um and I know we probably both have our own journeys to how we would answer that. And so per- partly I want to know what your journey is, but also I really want to know we've circled around um, sort of fat positivity or reclaiming what fitness can look like most visibly um, or be defined as. And a lot of that is around sort of getting rid of all these external messages and honing into you. And I, I think there's something about your home and your body and what we might be able to choose right. there. I'm not thinking, for me, it's not thinking of my body as a, uh, like a home renovation project. Like, oh, that's it's a not perfect like, line. <laughs> right. It's not like, it's not like, you know, uh, this list of things I need to do, like, you know, paint the upstairs bedroom or, you know, it, it, it's not, this is, it's more like um, a partnership and doing what is good for my body hmm. and doing right by my body rather than thinking of my body as I as enemies in some battle, pitched battle, which I'm going to win. Right. Mm-hmm. It's um, um we're in this we're in this together. And uh, I often I don't think about that about weight. I, I do think about that in terms of uh, I have osteoarthritis and knee injuries and it helps me to think 
the the language of kind of medical battles has never really suited me. And I sort of think of it as much better to think about doing what's good, making choices that are good for my good for my need that doesn't work so well anymore. And um, you know, working with the need that doesn't work so well anymore. And uh, rather than um, this, you know, angry battle of me against the need kind of thing. So I don't really feel that way about my weight anymore. This is, uh, um, but I, I certainly did when I was younger. So for me, the being home in your body is like, yeah, partnership rather than rather than a home renovation project, rather than rather than a to-do list, rather than a thing to improve. That's so beautifully put. And it um, a few different metaphors there, but yeah. Um, I think always trying to improve it or maintain the standards you've achieved at is a challenge. And I also think when I've reflected on sort of when I'm best with my body, it's when I can accept and even revel in my body is different today than it will be in two weeks than it was two weeks ago. Short timeline could expand it, but how it, how it performs, how it feels, what it needs um, shifts day by day, year by year. And that that's okay. Like, and that mm-hmm. that's actually something to revel in, in that different experience of it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I like that. Yeah. Um, totally shifting gears, COVID. We've talked about it a few times, but can we just focus on like, what has shifted for you in your fitness journey around COVID? <laughs> At this point, it's been a year. Uh, we've yeah. had to figure some stuff out. And I, I kind of wonder if some of what we've had to figure out will actually maintain itself post- Mm-hmm. the post is right because we've been asking ourselves at the university lots of questions about which things that we're doing differently do we have we we value and have we learned from that we'll keep doing yeah. and which things are we just doing because they're a sad substitute but then we need a substitute for the thing uh, that we prefer doing yeah so early on in the pandemic I decided I wasn't going to do a lot of outdoor bike riding um I did some but I didn't do as much as I normally did, partly because there were no coffee shops to go to and no, you know, long distance cycling is often about finding a place to go to and coming home again. Right. There was nowhere to go to. And also partly because I was worried about, uh, we had all these worries about riding too close to other people. And I had worries about using hospital resources if I had an accident. Now, again, I don't think it was that likely that I would have an accident. But I just felt that I should do the safest thing. And so I rode my bike, but I didn't ride particularly fast. And I didn't ride particularly far. Um, and I moved most of my, so the biggest change for me has been the moving my cycling indoors to a trainer, to spending a lot of time in a virtual world, which is something I've never done before. Mm-hmm. It's been an interesting change um, because the online cycling community are you know, thousands and thousands of cyclists from all over the world. Um, and you can easily find people who ride at your level with your interests. Huh. And so we're, uh, my partner and I are on different bike teams, on different virtual bike teams and ride with different people. Um, and it's been interesting having kind of a, a, a global perspective and having uh, different riding communities. So the big switch has been I didn't do my big bike ride to Montreal, which I've been doing most, you know, I've done a bunch of summers. I didn't do that this year. Hmm. I didn't have access to a gym. 
So we had, we invested in, we you know, gathered up all of our various bits and pieces of um, uh, weights and TRX. And it's now this weird combo of, um, I've got a, my office is now in the combo bike room, weight room, home office. Right. And it's now the, the complete blurring of people keep talking about the blurring of, of home and work. And it's also for me, the blurring of home and work and fitness space, because I often just work in fitness clothes and can yeah. go work out and then come back. You know, I can, if I'm getting frustrated writing an email, I can go and do something and then come back to my email. It's this weird, um, you know, no boundaries, but also no everyday exercise, which is this weird thing. So no, walking around campus and right. you know, walking between meetings. And so I've had to sort of create um, some opportunities for getting up on the hour and moving mm-hmm. because otherwise you just, otherwise I sit here all day and then kind of go wild riding my bike at night. But um, it's been an interesting experiment. I probably will keep riding on the trainer after this ends. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll probably go back to the yoga studio just because I miss I miss, the, I miss the hot yoga studio. We don't have that at home. Yeah. And weights, I'm not sure about. We've got a fair amount here now. Yeah. Um, You've really got a good setup going. Overall. But it'll be interesting to see. And it's, yeah. I'm part of a group that, um, it's a Facebook group that tries to work out, um, this year we're trying to work out 221 times in 2021. And a whole bunch of us are like already over, 50 episodes of intentional working out, but it's because, you know, we don't have the other things that we normally did to do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's no theater, there's no music, there's no, no um, so, and no evening, uh, no evening events at the university. So it's, there's time available that wasn't there before. <laughs> it's boredom killing a right. little bit. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and I, you know, and some people it's gone the other way, like they haven't done, they don't haven't moved nearly as much as they normally would in a given year. And yeah. others are moving more just because it's a thing that we can do. That we mm-hmm. have yeah. Um, well, I don't have a good home setup personally, and it, it has been sort of a good, um, just a good reminder for us. So my partner and I, we have a nice little home. Um, we're really quite happy with it, but it, we don't have a basement. We don't have extra rooms. Um, we don't have a garage. And so I see some peers and they're posting about having sort of a home gym set up in their basement. And we're like, um, we, we actually just don't have it. And we're not in a small one bedroom apartment. So thinking about sort of just some of the class intersections of families living in high rises and two bedroom apartments who were so reliant on sort of public spaces and the why or whatever it might've been, um, that's all good for you and I to chat about all these awesome accommodations we've probably been able to achieve, but even, mm-hmm. yeah, there's for sure. No, I thought out. about that, especially with the outdoor space early on in the pandemic, trying yeah. not, I didn't go to some of the local parks and people would say, are you scared? And I would say, no, I'm not scared. I just think I have a, I have a backyard. Yeah. And we're concerned about crowds and we're concerned about if there are too many people there, it will be shut down and I don't need it. Yeah. Like it's a, you know, I don't need that space. Um, I can I can use the space I have here, so I kind of felt um, some responsibility for on the part of us, those of us who do have um, enough private space to stick to our private space. Yeah, but it's fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
So it's definitely been a new sort of thinking for me around like how fitness for some folks really did use public spaces as Mm -hmm. a needed um, outlet. But yeah, I think the one thing I might hold on to in spite of myself is running. And it's Mm -hmm. a new addition for me because it um, fitness up until now has been highly scheduled because it would be classes I would teach. Um, And it was mostly always also giving. So I would have to like remember the choreography and like bring the energy to the group. And something I've discovered through running is it it's just me. Like it's Mm -hmm. just about me. There's no one else. Um, And it can be in the middle of my day or whenever it is like, it's not so highly scheduled something to fit in. So that's been a, that's been a neat addition. I'd say. Running's been an interesting one. I did some a little research into the who's moving more and who's moving less during the pandemic. Okay. And running, so all categories of runners are up, and beginning runners are way up. Yeah. And people who are the the most people who are elite athletes or who are training for marathons are down. So the people who the the people who were exercising a bunch of times a week, running a bunch of, prior to the pandemic, are running less. Okay. Everybody else who started running is running more. Like I get the running more, but why they're running less? Because they're those? not training. Because they're not training. Oh, for them, it's all about performance, right. and there's right, no right, performance right. goals. There are no marathons. Right. You can get your speed back when you need to get your speed back, but if you're right, uh, if you're an athlete without competition, you're just it's just injury. Huh. Why risk and why risk overtraining injury? You're not you don't have an event to train for. Right. 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 Because they're not about. Because there's another category again, right? Which are the we've talked about fitness and athletics versus aesthetics, mm-hmm. but the whole other category again is performance, and they are not really people who are who are training for performance. If there isn't a performance opportunity, or they have there's no reason, there's no you keep a baseline, but they're not they're not interested in training. It's just just risks injury. Another motivation to add to the mix. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Can you tell me about your favorite blog post you ever wrote? Oh, I've got, I've got <laughs> a couple of categories of things I like to write about. Okay. The so one is obviously um, the theme that we talked about, about body image and fitness, and the extent to which um, we have this incredible narrowing of fitness to be about just about shape and size and really it's about so much more. So it's one category of things I love to write about. But I also have loved to write about the history of cycling and how it's connected with feminism Mm -hmm. and how so many of the early worries we had about women and bikes still are around today. So pretty much everyone loves to, I love to talk about this because everybody, everybody finds the early examples of the anti, you know, the anti-feminist, anti-women cycling advocates, because the women who rode bikes encountered this incredible backlash. Um, and everyone finds their arguments, um, they're amusing, they're, they're funny, it's hard to believe anyone ever thought that. And then you can look and see that they're still around today. So when cycling started, people were opposed to women doing it because it was unfeminine, oh. bad for their health, something like this? Yeah, and because, and because we would um, have access to immoral opportunities. Oh, so there was all freedom. these freedom. <laughs> right. So there are all these discussions about um, infidelity and um, prostitution. And, and it was just the only thing that kept women, it was just showed how little people who, who held this view uh, thought about women 
is obviously the only thing holding us back from sexual debauchery. Like they had this, they actually thought that cycling might make you a lesbian, right? Because nice. the only thing holding you back was the lack of good transportation. Wow. Right? I mean, Lovely. so okay. uh, it, it, it's a whole, it's a very rich genre of, because uh, you can still think, wow, we still think lots of this. Like, it's hard to believe people thought that about women. And then, uh, and then some of those themes still appear today, the worry about immodest clothing, the worries mm. about um, speed, the worries about positioning of a bike seat, heaven forbid. Um, those, so, those, whoa, those, time out. What's up with the bike seat? Oh my God, there, there used to be medical, there were medical journals about um, the bike seat being too close to her delicate organs. Oh. And could possibly uh, either cause, uh, heaven forbid, sexual excitement, or yeah. could rattle your uterus loose, and you'd never be able to have children. And um, I feel like yeah. that would be perhaps more problematic for folks with penises than vulvas. It's, it's, you'd but think, you know, right? okay. you know, <laughs> but, but they can do whatever they want. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So they had all of this. There was a lot of angst and anxiety about women women riding bikes and women riding bikes uh, fast. And, you know, there was, there was a uh, medical literature about bicycle face, which was about the what? wrinkles, the bicycle face, the look of intense concentration on your face that was a result of doing something peculiar to your delicate nature. So women who rode bicycles, you could tell by the look, you could tell because they would have bicycle face. There is a um, lot more right. history of bicycling than you, I, yeah, okay. I understand oh, why there was a much more interesting. Cat, right, there was, a whole, uh, there were some ministers who thought it would be okay for women to ride bikes and that was the only way possible to get to church. Otherwise, no. Anyway, so that was a lot of, so that's one of my other favorite things to write about just because it is so rich and kind of hilarious. And then you can also say, and some of these things haven't really gone away. Like when you see fuss made about uh, what women cyclists wear now and women and bike seats and women and speed, all sorts of, yeah, we haven't entirely given up some of those, given up some of those worries. Okay, so and then finally, need to go yeah. check that blog post out, but yeah. <laughs> and then finally, I've written some stuff that I really like. You asked at the beginning about, uh, we were not talking about men, but I think, some of these issues um, about men and embodiment are interesting because as a feminist, I had hoped for women to have the comfort in our bodies that often men have in theirs, but it seems the kind of equality we're getting is let's just make the men as uncomfortable as the women and Hmm. having pressure on the increasing pressure on men and body image. Mm -hmm. We run a group at ANOVA called Man Made on campuses, but it um, there's so much, especially for young men, I guess that's maybe what I'm more familiar with around mm-hmm. sort of fitting into certain sizes, fitting into certain strength benchmarks, like all of those things are true. And I think right. it's an injustice to like patriarchy does work on that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those are my three favorite things to write about that I've had the most fun writing about. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm checking out the bike one because that yeah. was that was way more interesting than I thought it would be. Um, what kind of feedback, like what what's really resonated with folks out of the blog? Is there a certain um, like rallying space that really hit home for them? Yeah, I mean the one that 
always makes me really sad is so Tracy and I, when we did a book tour, we kept meeting with journalists. And after the second or third journalist burst into tears talking about their sports background, I began to realize how kind of, I hadn't thought of it as being so personally, um, kind of a site of tragedy or sadness for so many women. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were women who talked about their struggle to lose enough weight so they could go to the gym again. Oh. I thought, oh my God, or women who were talked to us about um, they're only running at night because they don't want the neighbors to see them until they've lost some weight. Wow. And we'd say, you know, that's less safe, right? Than running in daylight. And they'd say, I don't, that's not my biggest my worry. My, my bigger worry for me is people looking at me and laughing at me for running. Wow. Why would anyone laugh at, you know, so the, 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 those stories were striking and sad and we kept hearing versions of them. We kept thinking like we would go like a month without hearing one of these stories. And then somebody would say, send us this uh, article in England about the number of women who are running in backyard, they put their treadmill in their backyard shed wow. so that nobody would see them run even though it was the least comfortable place to be running and they couldn't watch their kids and they would have to sneak out in the middle of the night to run. They didn't want their treadmill in the house because they didn't want other family members. This was not even strangers. They want family members to see them exercise. Yeah. So that's a lot of shame. Yeah. Yeah. And that, uh, that's the thing that, you know, if, <laughs> when we had reporters crying, um, we were, we were really taken aback by, you know, how deep that runs and how many women seem to be affected by that. Mm-hmm. And it's not a, we had originally not thought of this as being, you know, as a, you know, it's obviously a feminist issue, but if we had thought about ranking various feminist issues, uh, we wouldn't have put this that high up on our list. But then the people who spoke to us we were really struck by by how angry and how upset they were. Just even the few that you've highlighted, the shame connected to that, um, I think strikes a chord for the work that we do at Hanova, um, because there's there's just layers of layers of layers of shame for women, um, mm-hmm. and from different sources, but all really connected to sort of just making us smaller, just making mm-hmm. us less in some way. And I know this is not maybe your direct wheelhouse, but I'm going to venture to ask you and we'll see what you can sort of come up with. I know you're not maybe an idealist from what I could gather, um, but what would a future without violence look like to you? What would a future where women don't feel the shame that you're saying look like? How would that be different? Where women will start, let's start really young because one of the things that strikes me is how quickly and early on the, the movement gap between boys and girls begins. And so we stop, and I don't think, I, no one thinks it has to do with biology. It has everything to do with the kind of control we exert over the behavior of girls and not boys. Mm-hmm. And so even, even at very young ages, boys are moving a lot more than girls. If you stick the movement detectors, you know, if you're, doing, if you're doing a study, you can stick movement detectors on kids and boys move a lot more than girls, starting really young. 
So the first thing is, okay, for me, yeah, is getting rid of or moving beyond the kind of gendered parenting that we engage in that restricts girls' movements, either because we're, you know, when people talk about um, parents and um, hovering and being worried about children's safety, um, but that's gendered, right? Mm -hmm. We allow boys a lot more scope of playful experiment. People will say of their boys, well, if he, you know, if he breaks an arm, he breaks an arm. And little girls, if they, you know, they cut themselves or hurt themselves at all. So we don't develop the kind of competence in our bodies and freedom to explore and freedom to, to fail and get better, hurt ourselves and get better again that boys do. Uh, so a world that's a world without violence starts um, at home, it starts in our neighborhoods, and it starts with uh, the way we treat children. That's the first thing, and then it's a world in which girls and women are, are, um, are, are free to explore mm-hmm. and free to do physically challenging things, and um, whether they're whether that's team sports or whether that's um, solo ad- adventuring, there's a range of things that could be. And you're not worried about that's and you're you know if you're going to head off on your uh, solo adventure, worries about sexual violence aren't aren't yeah raining all of your choices. Yeah, because we protect young girls and later we teach girls to protect ourselves, and we in, we we make our own world smaller because we're, we're worried um, in some ways reasonably, in some ways not reasonably. But um, this, I think, fear of violence shapes, shapes a whole bunch of our choices. Mm-hmm. And so imagine what those choices look like without that container there, they're shaping them. Imagine what it looks like without the fear of violence and the fear of body shame and all of mm-hmm. that. Yeah, they're all mm-hmm. so interconnected. That was beautiful. Thank you. Thanks. If you had to leave with three takeaways for our listeners, um, what would they be? So one's the obvious thing, the, the, the word, you notice the word joy, but the finding something, you know, um, finding something that you, that's pleasurable and fun um, and that fitness can be pleasurable and fun. And it's not about, it's not about duty. It's not about shame. Uh, it's about finding joy and movement in the world. Yeah. So that's thing number one. Also, whatever your gender, you deserve, your, your body is a good body and you deserve space and time to move in a way that feels good for you. Um, and finally, again, this is a common theme on the blog, but this is not about weighing a certain size or a number on a scale of looking a certain way. Um, and that the health benefits and the mental health benefits of physical movement are not about those things. Mm-hmm. Those are the three. Those are my 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 three themes you know, that, I, that I keep coming back to on the blog. Well, thank you. They're powerful. You, everything you chatted about today. Um, was wonderfully rambling in certain moments and also <laughs> poignant in others. So I appreciate that. Thanks for taking the time with us. Thank and for folks, for folks listening, if you're not already subscribed to Piece by Piece, go on Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iTunes so you don't mix our next episode. Thanks again, Sam. Really appreciate it. Thank you.
Piece by Piece is a production of ANOVA, a future without violence. ANOVA is on social media, and you can learn more about Piece by Piece and ANOVA at www.anovafuture.org. A reminder that if you need to talk, please call our 24-hour crisis and support line at 1-800-265-1576. Our sexual assault counselors are available for virtual appointments, and our shelters are open. We're here for you. A special thank you to Najee Naim Zada for technical production, Emma Richard for visual content creation, and music for this podcast is from the album Sweet and Joyful by Crowander, the track Humming. Music access downloaded and used under Creative Commons license via freemusicarchive.org. See you next time.